Hi, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen, and I am a journalist interested in a number of subjects, including the environment, which is why I'm here today. And it's no doubt why you subscribed as well. So welcome. So every uh, episode of this podcast will feature a story and maybe an investigation by Greenpeace's stellar team of investigative reporters. And today is no exception. So please welcome my buddy for this new adventure, Hella Abelvik Lawson. Hi. So, hello, we know that Energy Desk already does a lot of investigations that are mainly published online. So why are we here today? What's with the podcast? Well, at Energy Desk, we've always been exploring new ways to tell people what's going on in the world of the environment. We tweet a lot, for example. We like to do the occasional feature and long read. Videos are great for social media, but we thought that a podcast might be a good way to go really in-depth on an issue, especially a really complicated issue to make your way through a, a story that has various different strands. Okay, this is our first programme, so where are we going today? Well, today we are heading for Brazil. Hella has been to the heart of the Amazon. And it was pretty difficult to get there. How difficult are we talking? Well, I had to travel via Sao Paulo to Manaus. Where's Manaus? It's right smack in the middle of the Brazilian Amazon. And then from there, I had to take a smaller plane to this kind of dusty, hot, riverside frontier town in the Amazon called Itaituba. Where they don't like environmentalists. Pretty dangerous. It's got a really high murder rate. There's a high concentration of small-scale gold miners and illegal loggers. And So you, an environmentalist, thought you'd go to a town where no one likes environmentalists? Yeah. And then from the port... We took a boat to the village. And did you get there? I did get there. So what you're hearing is the young men from the Munduruku indigenous group that live in the Brazilian Amazon. It's their morning warrior chant. It's barely even light, it's only 5.30 in the morning. The Munduruku indigenous people are facing an existential threat. Everything here, everything in this village, in the Saure Moibo, and in the surrounding area, could be completely destroyed. It could be underwater. And they can only be saved if the government recognises their right to exist on this land. So all of their land could disappear, not just a little bit? Well, it would be irreparably damaged in one way or another. The way that they live in harmony with nature is very much under threat. Their entire culture is under threat. So tell me, what's actually going on here? What's the problem? It's a hydroelectric dam. Well, dams, actually. But the first is called the São Luís de Tapajós. It's an 8,000 megawatt dam. And it's the first of five large dams on the Tapajós River. And the Tapajós River is the fourth largest tributary of the Amazon. Wow, so this is a huge intervention then. Well, Brazil is actually building a whole load of dams. In their 2010 plan, they had a list of 279 dams that they were building. And a huge amount of those are actually going to be in the Amazon. The trouble is, a lot of these large dams will need smaller dams upstream to guarantee water flow into those dams. That's a lot of dams. But there is hope. The first of these dams, the São Luís de Tapajós, which I've just mentioned, which is the biggest threat to the Munduruku indigenous people's land, looks like it's just been cancelled. 
Okay, I mean, that sounds brilliant. So how did that happen? The Brazil Environmental Agency has just denied its environmental license. And if the president comes out and says that the dam is cancelled, then it may well be. Okay, why did the environmental agency do that? There are a few possible reasons, which we'll find out more about in this podcast. But even if it is cancelled, for the Munduruku, it's not the end of the story. The plans can still be revived, and of course there are all the other dams. And the Munduruku aren't really here, according to a lot of people in the government. But didn't you just spend loads of time living with them on the land? Like, they do live there. What does the government mean? We'll talk about that too. All right, buckle up, everybody. Let's do this. I'm a woman of courage. Whatever there's work for me to do, I can do it. Who's this? This is Marcia Karu Krishi. She's a mother in the village of Saure Moiba. What's that name again for the village? It's called Saure Moiba. Saure Moiba. It's quite rare to get interviews like this. But I think she really sums up a lot of the tension in this area at the moment, amongst the people that live here. I really have a lot of fear of what is going to happen. It's a big worry for people that live here, because we depend on this place, the river, the hunting. If this dam happens here, this place will be flooded, everything, over here, over there. How can the hunters go hunting? With the rivers filled, how can the fish continue? She tells me that they don't have money and that they won't ever have any money over in town, over in Itaituba, which is quite a small town, but she makes it sound like a massive city like Sao Paulo, that everyone has to buy everything and that everything's based on money. Here, it's not like that. Everything we have, everything we construct here comes from the forest. The men have been to Brasilia, and Cacique Juarez has invited us too, but I can't go because I have to look after the children. My husband always goes. They need our support too. They need our help here too. It's about 5.30 in the morning. And about this time you can hear the howler monkeys. So it sounds like an exaggerated wind. Howler monkeys are particularly vulnerable when a hydroelectric dam is built. I read in a paper about the filling of the Balbina Dam and filling up a dam reservoir creates all these little islands all over the reservoir and a lot of these animals can't swim so they end up sort of stranded on these islands without any mate it's a sort of slow extinction It honestly sounds like the video games that I used to play when I was a teenager. Shooting zombies. <laughs> and the constant sound of the cicadas as well. Mm. It's quite eerie. 
So, back to the dam. We know it's going to flood the Saure Moibo land. With the reservoir. And some of the men of the village have been to Brasilia, the capital, to protest. So how'd that go? Everything depends on whether the Brazilian government recognises the indigenous people's rights to their own land. That's the crux of this whole story. And indigenous rights are a complicated business in Brazil. And Brazilian politics itself is in chaos at the moment. So the question tonight, are the games a disaster in the making? Resign, they chant. Brazil is going through its worst recession in decades. The ongoing corruption scandal, um, the impeachment process of President Dilma Rousseff. But then obviously as soon as she was impeached, then an interim president called Michel Temer took power. And the reality of what that meant, it started to appear in news headlines, which was the rolling back of social programmes like house building. So there's been a change in government to a more right-wing cabinet, led by Michel Temer, which, interestingly enough, uh, Temer means to fear in Brazilian Portuguese. Also, Uh, didn't he appoint someone who is being investigated for attempted murder? There's an article I read the other day, and it said of the 500 people in government, about 300 of them are under investigations, mainly for corruption, but there are murder charges in there as well. So Tamer indeed then. Mm. Um, And his cabinet are quite famous in Brazil, a lot of them, for for their big business interests. They want to destroy a lot of the environmental guarantees in the country so that they can push ahead with big public projects. They can expand agribusiness with really only token measures to protect the environment. So who are we listening to now? Well, this is Sue Branford. She was a foreign correspondent in Brazil for many years. Covered the impeachment of Fernando Collor de Mello in 92. And now I'm covering the impeachment of another president. The corruption scandal investigation, Lava Jato, which translates as car wash, has rocked Brazil for about two years now. Why is it called car wash? I think it's related to a similar investigation that went down in Italy, which had a kind of similar name, like a kind of... Taking out the trash, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this corruption scandal investigation, Lava Jato, raised a number of questions about the close relationship between big companies and politicians. There's four big construction companies in Brazil, and they are extremely powerful. In fact, many of them are linked to the dam building scheme and other dam building schemes in the country. And they became quite closely allied with politicians, particularly in the recent period, with the Workers' Party. And so they gave funds to the Workers' Party so they could get re-elected. And then once they were re-elected, the Workers' Party then had to find some kind of big project so that they could use government money for a big project and then the construction companies would get their share of profits back again. And one of the projects funded in this way is Belomonchi. And Belomonchi is a very big hydroelectric dam in the Amazon, which has just recently been finished. And one of the plants has just started operating. And Sue Branford was there to see it for herself, the impact that it's had. So who's annoyed by this dam? Who doesn't like it? Well, obviously environmentalists, but interestingly, also people who usually love these big infrastructure projects, regardless of their impact on nature, like engineers, for example. The leading engineer said to me, it's the worst engineering project that's ever been funded in Brazil. So I began to wonder who was in favour of this project. And you realise that it's it's become really quite ludicrous that the... Politicians need big projects. 
So they're pushing ahead with the Amazon because it's quite easy to get projects uh, going ahead there because there's not so many people, there's not so much resistance. And a hydro dam sounds quite environmentally friendly. Wait a minute, what does she mean it sounds environmentally friendly? I thought this was a renewable energy source. I thought it was supposed to be green and clean. Am I wrong? Well, in a lot of parts of the world, dams are low emission, clean energy technologies. But for many decades now, there's been criticisms of these big hydro dams in tropical areas because they create a lot of problems. Because they disrupt the, the, the rivers and it's very difficult for the local economies to survive um, this kind of disruption. And apparently, they actually do create greenhouse gases themselves. Wait, so dams create greenhouse gases. I mean, how is that possible? There's been a big debate about this, but the person you really should talk to about this is this US scientist who's lived in Manaus for at least 30 years, Philip Fernside, who has been, been campaigning for many years against the construction of these big dams. Okay, well, Phil sounds like the sort of person we should be speaking to then. Well, I'm Philip Fernside. I'm originally from the United States, but I've been 40 years here in Brazilian Amazon. Philip Fernside is a Nobel Prize winning scientist. He's been studying these dams for a long time, including the ones that were built years ago in the Brazilian Amazon, like Balbina. Brazil has tremendous plans for uh, hydroelectric dams in the Amazon. The so-called 2010 plan, and that had 79 large dams in the Brazilian Amazon uh, that would flood 10 million hectares and basically would dam all of the rivers from the Madeira River to the east. It's two-thirds of the Brazilian Amazon. Those rivers would all be turned into continuous chains of reservoirs, just one lake after another. Okay, so Philip is explaining that this dam has a tremendous impact on all things. The migration of fish, I mean, that can't happen if there's one dam there, let alone 79 of them. All of the riparian vegetation along the rivers would, of course, be destroyed. You have a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, one of the things I, I study, including methane. And then there's the people, people like Marsha. You're basically expelling all of the traditional population from two-thirds of Brazilian Amazonia. So there's a tremendous human impact in addition to all of these biological, environmental impacts. Right now, the Tapajos River... This is the one that runs by the village. This river is the focus of attention. It has 43 dams planned on it and its tributaries. But anyway, it's it's just a tremendous number of dams. In addition to the Tapajos River itself, which is in the state of Pará, you have the Jamanchin River, a tributary in Pará, and then two big tributaries in the state of Mato Grosso. Okay, wait a minute. You're talking to someone who has never been to Brazil and has absolutely no sense of direction, so... Just explain what this looks like on a map. If you imagine the Amazon River running left to right across the map, the Tapajos River is somewhere in the middle and it flows into the Amazon from the south. So its source rivers are in the south and those are the Jamanchin and the Telespiris. Um, so those are the two big tributaries that are in Mato Grosso state. Now, Mato Grosso is a big agricultural state and this dam project benefits agribusiness there because then they wouldn't only have the dams. But also waterways for carrying soybeans on barges from Mato Grosso, which is the main area for producing soybeans, to ports with access to the Amazon River. 
And so that has a lot of implications because what it means is you have to build all of the dams. You can't have one place that has rapids without having a dam and expect to have these barges pass through. So that means building the most damaging dams. Basically, we are told that this is for clean energy when actually part of the reason that these dams are being built is to essentially remodel the river to allow boats to transport goods up it because at the moment we can't do that because the nature of the river the sort of rapids and that kind of thing means that that's not possible that's right okay but going back to earlier sue said that all of these dams i mean there seem to be quite a lot of them release greenhouse gases yes okay but how first of all you have the trees from the tropical rainforest that are usually left sticking out of the water in these reservoirs. Uh, and those can be huge areas. In, in Balbina, for example, uh, the reservoir is 155 kilometers long. So just to fly in a one-engine airplane from the dam up to the other end is a whole hour just flying over these dead trees, there are billions of dead trees, and another hour flying back. You really have to do it to, to appreciate it. Just that image of billions of dead trees, I mean, that's there's something really awful about that, isn't there? Yeah, these dams and their reservoirs are big, and a lot of trees disappear. But that's not actually the worst part. You see, Philip's been studying these dams for many, many years. He's been kind of testing the air around them, And what has he found? Dams produce a lot of CH4, which is methane. Which is what you get when uh, any sort of uh, biomass or carbon uh, decays underwater where there's no oxygen. Okay, now I'm no climate scientist, but I'm pretty sure that methane is worse for the environment than CO2. Is that right? In the short term, methane warms the climate much faster than carbon dioxide does. It's what I call a methane factory. You're basically taking the carbon out of the atmosphere as CO2 with photosynthesis, and then when it goes back, it goes back as methane. And that has a much greater impact on global warming. And so the other thing that Philip told me was that not only are all these dams um, in these tropical regions and, you know, from his research in the Amazon, emitting massive amounts of methane, they're actually counted by the Brazilian authorities as zero emissions, which means Brazil can sell carbon credits based on these dams to European countries who want to burn loads of coal, for example. So let me just understand how this works then. So countries with a good environmental record can sell carbon credits to countries with a bad environmental record so that overall the amount of carbon in the atmosphere balances out. Is that how it works? It's called the clean development mechanism. This was one of the things that Philip pointed out was that effectively you've got these dams which supposedly don't emit any greenhouse gases compensating for countries that do emit a lot of greenhouse gases. But actually these dams are emitting a gas that's worse than a coal power station might emit. Exactly. And they're also enabling countries in Europe, particularly, to burn loads of fossil fuels. So you've not only got the emissions coming off the dam, which Philip says is in some ways worse than a coal plant, you've got what it's supposed to be compensating. So the, the climate is just being completely wrecked by this whole situation. 
So, I mean, I guess another consequence of this is that you have a lot of these big companies that are working on these projects that are supposed to be good for the environment, you know, that they're producing clean energy, when actually what is happening is they're doing more harm than good. Yeah, so given the scale of the projects, there's a huge amount of businesses that are interested in being involved. We know who's interested in helping to build the Tapajos Dam because they've created this study group to start planning the bids that they'll submit. And we've already talked about the Brazilian construction companies. But there's also companies like uh, French energy giant EDF, General Electric in the US, Lloyds of London, who provide the insurance. And there's Siemens. So why Siemens? What have Siemens been up to? Well, Siemens are one of the only companies in the world who know how to build the turbines that harness the water in these massive dams to create electricity. The turbines are always the most expensive part of a hydroelectric dam. So it's a wonderful conglomerate of international corporations. And if Siemens drop out, there are a few companies with the expertise to replace them. Um, In fact, Greenpeace has spoken to Siemens for an earlier story to ask about their involvement, and they declined to comment. So back in the village, the community meets in the evening when it cools down to talk about their rights. The Saure Moibo land is considered the Munduruku's ancestral territory. And they say they've lived here for hundreds of years. But the Brazilian government, crucially, hasn't recognised it officially as theirs. So there are no signs marking out the land, which means the dam developers can just march in. I spoke to the chief of chiefs of the Munduruku people. His name is Chief Arnaldo Caetano Caba Munduruku. The land for us is very important. God gave it to us to care for her and preserve her forever. This year, 2016, we are uh, 16,000 Mundurukus in the area here. The future generation is always appearing, and that's why we are taking care of this land, for them to have to take care of after us. Now we must look after the land, because we have a government that wants to finish with it, and the people don't want this. Today, we are saying to the government to stop with with this business. And what is your main worry today? My biggest worry today is the dam that they want to build. These days, I don't sleep properly. I don't eat properly. The people in the village here, we don't sleep well worrying about this business. Has the government consulted you about this? The government have never been here to offer us prior consultation. So, the part of the government is always to lie to us. They have not come here to the village to have the consultation, the conversation about what is going to happen. They have never sat with us to have this conversation. I've been here in the Mondoraku community now for two days. I arrived on a boat at the shoreline in a sort of cloud of yellow butterflies. They have these signs that they've copied from the government's official ones that say indigenous territory. The only thing that's missing is the number of the legal decree. They've put them along the river line to demarcate the land. They're not strictly supposed to be impersonating government officials and using government symbols on their signs. 
The dry line demarcation could be extremely dangerous. There are these miners nearby. They're sort of wondering what they're up to. And this could actually blow up. In the case of the Tapajos dams, the environmental impact statement had the indigenous part in an annex that came out months after the rest of the report. So what that essentially means is that the people who are living on the land and rely on it for a livelihood weren't even featured in the original report until months later. And what Philip also found was that the parts of the river considered sacred to the Munduruku were not considered at all in the government's impact study. So that's a real problem. They're more concerned about losing these these sacred sites and about losing the fish and all sorts of things that are essential to their survival. Uh, and that isn't even considered to be an impact. It isn't even mentioned. Our people only say one thing, the whole people. We do not want the construction of this hydroelectric dam on our river because it is secret for us. I'm becoming sad because we do not want to lose what is here. All the fruit that we have, I worry. The hunting, the fishing, the Tapajos River too, the land too. It was given to us by our mother. And more than this, we have lived here for all the time. Our grandfather gave it then to us, and it is not for us to leave this area. We are from here, we are created here. Because of this, we will not give up. This is what another chief, Valtu Daje Munduruku, said to me. And just to make this clear, this is a different chief we're hearing from now, but it is the same translator. The message that our people are sending, the government outside of Brazil already knows, that us that exist here say that we don't want a dam. Like what happened in Belo Monte, in Altamira. We have been there and have seen with our own eyes what the dam has done to the fish. We have seen it. We don't want this on our river, the river Tapajós of the Amazon here. We have seen that nature, those islands. We have seen that everything is finished there. We went there and didn't see any nature there. So was it the pressure from Valto and the other chiefs that made the Brazilian Environmental Agency back down over the dam? Sort of. What we do know is that if this licence has been definitively rejected by the Environment Agency, then all those environmental impact statements are now void. The other thing that they said was that there would be unacceptable impacts on Indigenous peoples' rights. So that's obviously a good thing for the Munduruku. It means that they've finally, in the Brazilian government, started to recognise that Indigenous peoples have rights on this land. But the problem is this new government. They're really pushing forward on a whole new bunch of rules, which may push things completely the other way. So there are these amendments to the constitution that they're trying to push through. And one of them is so extreme that if it's passed, it would remove all environmental licensing for projects just like this. Here's Philip again. So this proposal uh, would mean that any project could go ahead just by the, the company turning in an environmental impact statement. It didn't, wouldn't have to be approved by any, anyone, and then that would, couldn't be stopped. Yeah, all of the senators were concerned with the impeachment proceedings, and a few people were showing up at these meetings, and suddenly the ruralist uh, branch just 
came in mass and passed the thing. And it's this that's really alarming environmentalists, particularly as this new government is really trying to get these changes to the constitution through. Many claim the dams planned are less about generating power and more about contracts with the construction companies and supporting these big agriculture businesses. Uh, In January 2013, for the first time, uh, Brazil's superior electoral court released the data on campaign contributions for the previous 10 years. And the four biggest contributors were exactly the big construction companies that are building Amazonian dams. And now, just in the last couple of months, uh, with the Lava Jato scandal, a lot of uh, new revelations have come out, including confessions from both sides in the case of Belo Monte, both the people paying bribes and the people receiving bribes, <laughs> that uh, a lot of money changed hands uh, for the contracts for, for building the dam. So there are all sorts of ulterior reasons uh, that aren't in the interests of, of Brazilian society. But really, it also comes back to agriculture and the push to turn the Amazon into a productive region. Indeed, one of the new ministers in this cabinet is called the Soy King. Blairo Maggi, who's famous as the largest individual soybean planter in the world, not as a company, but as an individual and the largest in Brazil, former governor of Mato Grosso and influential senator, is now... Uh, the Minister of Agriculture. So obviously that is a big pressure, for example, for these waterways to take soybeans from Mato Grosso to the Amazon River, uh, as well as all sorts of other developments like that. Okay, so let's go back to the big news for a second, that the license for this big dam has just been cancelled. Yeah, so in a pretty dramatic turn of events, the head of the Environment Agency has cancelled the license for this big dam, the Saint Louis de Tapajós, And they cited concerns over the environment and indigenous people's rights. So does that mean that the Mundurku land isn't under threat anymore? Perhaps not as much as it was. But in theory, if the government wanted to revive the project, they'll have to think of a different way of doing it. And all the environmental impact statements that were done, those are now void. But there are still other dams being considered, which infringe on Mundurku land. And of course, the president could just change his mind. So is the land official Mundurku territory now? No. It's not yet. If that happened, a new dam project would be really hard to set up again. But the government appears to still be opposed to recognising the land. So for the Mundurukú, the battle isn't really over yet. And what does this mean for all of the other tropical dam projects, methane factories? There are still a lot of dams planned in the Amazon. And we cannot assume that the cancellation of one will mean the others aren't going to go ahead. But it was a pretty big project and it is a start. And that's what I'll leave you with. So thank you very much for joining us. For more on this story, find us at energydesk.greenpeace.org. I'm Ellie May O'Hagan, and thanks to Hella Arbovic-Lawson for sharing her adventure with us today. Thank you, Hella. Thanks also to Sue Branford, uh, Philip Fernside, Chief Arnaldo Caetano Cabal-Munduruku, Marcia Karukrishi, Chief Juarez Sao munduruku Chief Valtu Daje Mundurku, and thank you also to our interpreters. Audio production by Matt Hill of Rethink Audio. Until next time, goodbye.